Well, hey everyone, I'm Pastor Judd Wilhite, and I wanna thank you for joining us today. You know, Central's a place where it's okay to not be okay. And we are so glad that you're here. I hope you enjoy this message. Right, welcome everyone. Thanks for being here today. Hey, we're gonna get one thing out of the way real quick. They're not pajama pants. They're, <laughs> they're dress pants. Aren't you glad that we go to a church where you can come as you are no matter what you're wearing? <laughs> hey, I have a question for you. How, how many UFC fans do we have in the room? Or professional boxing fans? Yes, I love the UFC. I love professional boxing. I love any sport where there's fighting. And, and I'm not a violent person. I, I just love when two people, individuals say, hey, let's step into a ring together and just beat the snot out of each other. Let's just start throwing punches. It's so fascinating to me. And I can remember when I was in my first boxing match, if you could call it a match. It was really 10 fifth grade boys at a sleepover. We went out into my friend's garage. There were a couple pair of boxing gloves right there on the ground. We put them on and just started fighting each other. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was not trained. And because I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't know the number one rule of boxing is to like keep your hands up, to keep your face guarded. And so I put those gloves on and within the t first 10 seconds of me boxing my friend, he caught me with a shot just right to the nose. And I can remember my nose stung, my eyes filled up with tears and I got angry. I mean, I was mad. Who likes being hit in the face? No one. So like, I just started throwing punches, just swinging away. And I couldn't see because my eyes were filled up with tears. And so I'm just punching away. And in all my throwing of blind punches, I accidentally catch this innocent bystander, this boy named Jack, right in the stomach. Now here's the issue is Jack was not a small kid. Jack was the biggest kid in our fifth grade class and Jack had an anger problem. So when I caught him with that rogue punch, Jack did not hesitate. No glove on, glove on just full swung right into my cheek, knocked me out. I, I, it was only described to me like a rocky moment. I just slowly went backwards. I had no idea what had even happened. I was blindly swinging away at one moment and the next moment my friends are half conscious picking me up off the ground. He rung my bell, he, he made me go down for the count. This was not a fight that I had meant to get in. And we've been in this series called Break Free, where we've been exploring uh, the journey to freedom that God takes the Israelites on, but also the journey to freedom he takes each of us on. And we've been in the, the second book of the Bible, Exodus, and Exodus means the road out. And the book of Exodus, it really shows us how God liberates people from bondage. And last week, we got to hear all about Moses, how Moses was sent to confront Pharaoh and challenge him to a showdown. You see, Moses delivered this message to Pharaoh from God. He said, Pharaoh, let my people go. Let them go or you're going to face consequences. But Pharaoh was stubborn. Pharaoh was defiant. He, his heart was hardened by God, and he refused to let the Israelites go. And then he ended up paying the price. He and his people, they suffered plague after plague after plague, totaling 10 plagues in all. And after the 10th plague, Pharaoh finally gives in. He finally releases 
the Israelites. And you would think that this is the end of the story, right? Like it's over here. He's learned his lesson. But of course, it's not the end of the story. So here the Israelites are, they're excited, they're free, they're walking out of Egypt, they probably have a pep in their step, a little confidence, they're dancing, when all of a sudden someone turns around and there's a whole army chasing after them. Pharaoh's changed his mind, he wants his slaves back, so they start to flee, they start to run, and they run right into this large body of water known as the Red Sea. So God leads the people up to what they thought was a dead end. I mean, just imagine how that must have felt. You're running, you're running for your life, you run into this big dead sea, you can't get across it, you turn around a red sea, and there's this whole army, there's Pharaoh, there's his chariots, there's his thousands of warriors chasing after you, and you're stuck, you're trapped. And the Israelites realize that they're about to be in a battle that they're not equipped or ready for. And as we get older, as each of us get older, we tend to be in battles that we're not equipped or ready for, don't we? I mean, we feel like our backs are up against a wall with no way out. And a lot of times this is because we feel trapped. We feel trapped from our past, the hurt we experienced in it. Maybe we feel trapped in an addiction, trapped financially, trapped at at our jobs, at work, with pressures or demands. Maybe you feel trapped in a cycle of bitterness or hate towards someone who's hurt, who's hurt you. Maybe you feel trapped in depression. Maybe even this morning you didn't even feel like getting out of bed. Maybe we feel trapped about what people have said about us or what they've said, said to us. We feel so trapped that all we know to do is just start throwing punches. All we know to do is just to pick up the gloves, to put them on, and to just start blindly throwing punches because we're angry, we're mad, they hurt us. All we can do is blindly swing, swing at the pain, swing at the guilt, swing at the betrayal, the lies, the harsh words, to swing at the unforgiveness, swing at the bitterness, swing at the hate, swing at the addiction. These things have us so trapped that all we know to do is just blindly swing. And before we know it, all of our blind swinging, it's resulted in fights and battles that we didn't even intend to be in. We find ourselves in the middle of relational messes with no way out. And our natural reaction is just keep swinging. Just keep those gloves on. You're in the fight of your life. Don't let that guard down for one second. Don't you trust anyone. Just keep throwing blind punches. And there's good reason to do so, right? I mean, we didn't cause this. This is what life did to us. This wasn't our own doing. This is because of others. It was others that hurt us. It was other people that lied to us. They betrayed us. They cheated on us. They abused us. They stabbed us in the back. This is their fault. Maybe putting on the gloves and just throwing punches seems like our only option, but before we know it, we're not even swinging at the person or the people that wronged us. We're just swinging at everyone, just mindlessly swinging because we think the whole world has us trapped. We're throwing blind punches, blind punches of harsh words spoken in anger, throwing punches of judgment, throwing these punches of 
spiritual superiority. And anyone and everyone's the target of our hurt. That coworker of mine, ah, they're so incompetent. They are just an incompetent person throwing away and swinging with uh, criticism. My family is out of control. This house is always a mess, so we swing away with anger. That server, they got my order wrong, so we swing away with complaints, maybe even swing away with slander. Someone's marriage is in crisis, that they're facing challenges, we swing away with gossip. Someone's being blessed financially, we swing away with jealousy, with envy. And what we don't realize is if we keep blindly throwing punches, at some point, life's gonna swing back. And it's gonna ring our bell. It's gonna knock us off our feet. We're gonna find ourselves at rock bottom because we're swinging in a fight that we're not built or equipped to win. And not only that, but we're making enemies out of anyone and everyone we meet. So if we wanna be free, if we wanna be free of the things in our lives that are holding us back, we have to learn to lay it down before God. We have to give and receive forgiveness. We have to be honest about who we've hurt and who's hurt us. Because freedom from our past, freedom from our hangups, it comes when we put the gloves down. Freedom with others comes when we put the gloves down and we realize we don't have to fight anymore. This isn't our fight. If we're gonna find freedom today, leave the gloves on the ground and realize this is not your fight anymore. Not on your own. Even if our backs are up against a wall and it seems like there's nowhere to go, we don't have to be afraid because ultimately this is God's fight. He has the victory. He can set us free. So today we're gonna look at how to do just that. When it comes to finding freedom with others, the first thing we have to do is we have to ask God to reveal our hurts. I have three girls, and my girls are not good with the scary parts of movies. And we don't even watch scary movies or things that would be titled scary movies or categorized as scary movies. It's, it could be Finding Nemo. If it is a dark scene with just a little bit of spooky music, they're done for. They're like, they're done. In fact, my youngest, Cosette, she does this thing where she will bury her head in a pillow and pull the blanket up over her head to not watch the TV and, and to hide from whatever's going on on the screen. And recently I asked Cosette, I'm like, why do you do this? Why do you feel like if you cover your head that something's gonna change, the outcome's gonna change, that it didn't happen? And, and her answer to me, it, it actually was something I could relate with so well. She said, if I don't see anything happen, then I can pretend nothing bad actually happened. And the reason I can relate with it is because as naive as that response is, it's also so profound. Because I think oftentimes I'm scared and my natural reaction is to close my eyes and to not look. But listen, if we close our eyes to the fear, we're also closing our eyes to the rescue. And in the story with Moses and the Israelites, they're being pressed in on. Their backs are up against a wall. There's nowhere to go. They start to become anxious. They start to become afraid. And look at what Moses tells them in Exodus 14. We're gonna start in verse 13. When we get to that red word, say that out loud with this. It says, Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and what? Watch. Watch the Lord rescue you today. 
The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. You see, Moses knew that the real issue here was their fear. And fear is the biggest opponent to to faith. If you have faith, you won't have fear. But if you have fear, it will absolutely destroy your faith. And Moses is saying, don't be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid. Why? He's telling them why. Because the Lord your God is with you. Your heavenly Father has you. He's gonna deliver you. He's gonna provide you a rescue. And here comes Pharaoh's elite army. Here comes his soldiers. They have every reason to be afraid, but Moses is reminding them that God is with them. He says, stand still because the Lord's gonna rescue you. But then I also want you to notice, he doesn't say stand still and cover your eyes, close your eyes. He doesn't say stand still and duck for cover or stand still and brace for impact. No, he says stand still and watch. Moses knows that if they can learn to stand still and watch God move, that fear didn't have a chance because it was gonna increase their faith. And that God was going to reveal something to them. If they ran, if they covered their heads, well, they were going to give fear a foothold. But if they just stood still with their eyes wide open, God was going to reveal his love to his people. In fact, 1 John tells us that perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So when you see God move in your life, when you keep your eyes wide open, you're reminded how much he loves you. And that increases your faith. It allows you to be transformed on the inside with the same grace, the same love for others. Because both fear and faith, they demand that you believe in something you cannot see. And you can't believe in them both simultaneously. It's absolutely impossible. So you have to trade fear for faith. And revealing our hurt, it can seem scary. Only God knows the wounds inflicted by others, and only God can heal them. So we must pour out our hearts to him. Name the ones who have wounded us. This is key to our recovery. There's times that we start to resist this. We resist it because the ones who did the hurting, the ones that caused the pain, maybe we still consider them a loved one. This isn't every time. There's, there's those times that we, we have those that have caused the pain that we never wanna see or hear from again. And that's okay, that that boundary there is okay, that distance is okay there. But there's also the times that it's the ones we love and we're afraid that revealing that hurt, what we fear is that these memories, they, we fear what that might do to our heart. But what we have to realize is God's love is greater than any human love. He can expose the root of our pain, but then he can help us down the road of releasing it. So we need God to reveal the pain. But then we need his help. We need him to release the pain. But in order to do that, we need to release the offender. Let's go back to the Israelite story. Let's look at what it says in Exodus 14, verse 10. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and what? Panic. That didn't sound very panicky. Let's try that again. The people of Israel looked up and they... They panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? It is better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. 
in a moment of stress. Look at how quickly God's people forget to trust him. They had just asked for God to send them someone to lead them out of captivity and God sends them Moses. Then they ask God to wake Pharaoh up to to get them and grant them their release and God sends 10 plagues to get Pharaoh's attention. And then when they're free and they're wandering around in the wilderness and they don't know where they're going, God leads them by a a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God kept showing them that he had them, he's delivering them, that he's with them and he's gonna give them victory. But that very second, they felt like their back was against the wall, that things weren't going their way, they were ready to go back. Saying things like, we told you, Moses, Oh, we told you to leave us alone. We told you we were comfortable as slaves. We were perfectly fine. Why did you bring us out here to die? We want to go back. And Moses has to be thinking, what? What is wrong with you people? You're impossible to lead. But in our human nature, that's what we do, don't we? In moments of stress, we resort right back to fear instead of faith. C.H. McIntosh, who was a 19th century preacher, he said it this way, 10,000 mercies are forgotten in the presence of a single trifling moment. 10,000 mercies are forgotten in the presence of a single trifling moment. When stress pushes us up to the edge, what we tend to do is we fall back on our old habits. We fall into our comfort zone. We cling to chains because the chains are all we know. But when it comes to dealing with the pain in our own lives and those who have caused us the pain, releasing the offense and releasing the offender, that can feel like defeat. And that's because it's hard. It's it's a lot of work. It can feel like we're losing And the main reason that's hard is because that entrapment, that enslavement, that didn't happen overnight. Those bad decisions, those that hatred, that disdain that we have for others, those destructive patterns, they've they didn't just develop out of nowhere. They didn't just appear. We've lived with these things our whole lives. And it may not be comfortable, it may be self-defeating, it could even be destructive, but gosh. It's familiar. What we do is we start to confuse our identity with these hurts, these habits, these hangups. And we start to say things like, well, that's just the way I am. It's just the way I am, a workaholic. That's just in my nature. I've always just been a hardworking workaholic, just work all the time. Or anxious, anxious is my personality. Anxious is my middle name. Just call me Nick Anxious Bodine. I'm just an anxious person. Or I'm short-tempered. I was born with a short fuse. You can't, can't change that about me. I'm just an angry person. Deal with it. Or I'm an addict. I have an addictive personality. Nothing's gonna change that I'm just always gonna be an addict. And what's crazy is oftentimes we don't even want to change these things about us because they have a payoff. What's the payoff? It masks the pain. It gives us an excuse to fail. It allows us to control other people. It might even allow us to suppress our own guilt, but that's not God's plan for us. If we wanna see freedom with others in our lives, we have to recognize that letting go isn't accepting defeat. 
Letting go is what delivers us our victory. It gives us that victory. And releasing the offender, that's what's releasing us towards freedom. The enemy, he's gonna try and tell you that it's never gonna work. The enemy's gonna try to tell you that that offense, what that offender did, what they did to you is too big to let go. It's too serious to, to disregard. But I want you to hear me, as long as you hold that grudge, as long as you hold that offense, it gives that person power over you. That person controls you. And then what we start to do is we start to develop an, a, a posture, an attitude, just like the Israelites. Like, God set me free. I wanna be free, I wanna experience your freedom, God, make me free from this, show up. And God does show up. God does amazing things, but then he asks us to release that offense. He asks us to release that offender, and we say, oh, mm, God, that's hard. I don't wanna do that. That's gonna feel like I'm losing. I can't do that, God. Let, let's go back. Let's go back to the chains. Let's go back to the entrapment. Let's go back to the enslavement. That's comfortable. I was perfectly happy being a slave to that, but what God's saying is no. Watch what I can do. Let it go. Release it. Release them. Scarlett Lewis faced the unthinkable on December 14th, 2012. Her six-year-old son, Jesse, was one of the victims of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. It was a horrific, a senseless act. She suffered the worst kind of pain, the worst kind of loss and injustice. And in a recent interview, she was asked how she's coped since that fateful day, and her answer was astonishing. It actually amazed me. I'm gonna read you what she said. She said, forgiveness is central to my resilience. A social worker came to my house shortly after the incident and kneeling down with her hand on my knees, she said, I know how it feels. I've also lost my son and I'm here to tell you that the pain will never get better. Scarlett continues and said, at that moment, I thought that is absolutely not gonna be my journey. And so I chose the path of forgiveness. Initially, it felt as if the shooter was attached to me by some umbilical cord and all my energy was being sapped. But forgiveness felt like I was given a big pair of scissors to cut the tie and regain my personal power. It started with a choice and then it became a process with no neat ending. She chose to forgive. Scarlett chose not to live a lifetime in pain and I'm sure it still hurts. I'm sure it's not always easy. I'm sure she still has bad days, but ultimately she chose to forgive. Forgiveness does not mean we let our offender win. It means we let God help us overcome. He gives us the power to heal and to move on. So we need to reveal our hurt. We need to release our offender. And then the last thing we can do if we wanna experience freedom with others is to replace our hurt with peace. We need to move towards God's peace. The Israelites, they're trapped between the sea and the fast approaching Pharaoh. They panic, they, they begin to whine to Moses, like we're doomed, we're toast, why'd you drag us out here? Why'd you pull us out of Egypt? We were happy as slaves and how could you do this to us? Moses with 
great leadership and words of wisdom, he says, zip it, zip it and pay attention. Your Bible is not gonna say that, that's my paraphrase, but he says, zip it. God's about to do something and you're gonna miss it, just stand still and watch, God's gonna fight for you. And then the very next verse, look at what God says to Moses. Moses is saying, stand still, watch, watch what your God can do. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get what? Moving. What's important to recognize in this verse is that there's a time to pray, but then there's a time to move. And God's saying, Moses, it's great that everyone's stopping, that they're watching me work, that they're staying calm, that they're trusting me, but bro, Mo, there is a whole army coming down right now getting ready to attack you. You need to get the people moving. And I can relate to Moses here, meaning I'm not always good at knowing when to pray and then when to move. And sometimes when I should be still, I should talk to God, I get restless, I get anxious, I wanna take things into my own hands, I, I become impatient. Like, let me just figure it out. I don't wanna pray anymore. But then other times when God's telling me to move, he's giving me clear direction. He's telling me, trust me, I, I got you, but you need to move, Nick. I'm giving you what you need to move. It becomes hard. I become anxious about it. It's a difficult task, and so I hide behind my prayers. Like, let me just pray about that one more time. Like, God, are you, let's, let me pray about that 10 more times. I really just want to make sure, God, that I'm in tune with you. I'm listening to you. But God's already given me the direction. I act like I need more confirmation from him when he's already shown me the way. And the hardest thing you're ever going to do is leave your comfort zone and start moving towards God's freedom. And that's because it requires a large amount of faith, a large amount of courage and determination to overcome inertia. You might be saying inertia. I've heard that word. I don't exactly know what it means. Got the definition for you here. Inertia is a tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged. So it takes a lot to overcome inertia and get moving. But once you take the first step, it becomes easier and easier as you feel the momentum, as you feel the joy of making progress. So don't let inertia keep you from God's best for you. Just start moving. And you're gonna discover that it's not as scary as you think. Albert Einstein, a scientist, he wasn't even a theologian, and he even says, nothing happens until something moves. And that something in this case, and you finding your freedom, that something is you. Move towards God's peace. Because when you experience peace, when you experience God's peace in your relationships, you're never gonna wanna lose it. When you're free from rage, anger, jealousy, when you're free from hurt, mistrust, sadness, when you feel like you don't really have any enemies, that's the kind of relational harmony that God wants for us. And there's sometimes we have to do hard things, we have to move and do difficult things to achieve it, but it's worth it because it leads to healthy living, it leads to freedom. So who in your life do you need relational peace with? I'm gonna ask some hard questions. Can you get to a place where you can make amends? Has there been someone that's wronged you that you need to forgive? 
And hear me on this, it's not always appropriate that you actually have these conversations with that person. There's some instances that there's a history of abuse or a history of offenses where it would not be healthy for you to stay in contact with that person. And that boundary, that distance is okay. But even in those cases, you can do something like write a letter that's never gonna get sent. But just one that you can keep for yourself or you can destroy, but what you're doing is you're letting the offender go and you're forgiving them. Or as weird as this might sound, could you have a conversation with an empty chair? Just saying out loud that you forgive that person, that you're releasing their offense back to God. See, the important part is that we make a conscious decision in our heart to forgive them. Or what about those that we have hurt, that, that we have wronged? Can we make a list of those we've wronged, the, the different ways that we've hurt them? And I know it's hard recalling some of these things sometimes. We don't like to think of these things. I put some of the ideas up on the screen here, maybe ways that we've hurt people and didn't even realize it. Maybe it's unpaid debts. Maybe it's broken promises. Maybe we were over-controlling or over-possessive. We were hypercritical. We were verbally, emotionally, physically abusive. Maybe we lied or we were unfaithful. And if you've done any of these things, I want you to know that you're not alone. We've, we've all struggled with some of these things, but can we make a list of those things that we've done, who we've caused those hurts to, and then just start working that list top to bottom, reaching out and just saying you're sorry, making amends. Now, it's important that we keep in mind that it, it's gotta be the right time. It's gotta be the right attitude, and it needs to be appropriate. Sometimes those three things won't line up, and if they don't line up, just keep bringing it back to God. Just keep praying about it, that, that he gives you direction, but making sure it's the right time, that it's the right attitude, and that it's appropriate is important. And God's always gonna work on our behalf. But then there's some things we need to partner with him on as we move towards relational peace. Because we need his perfect love to transform our hearts. Only he can transform our hearts towards reconciliation. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, that sounds like a big task. I honestly don't even know where to start. I wanna let you know that we have a community right here at Central that can help you with that called Celebrate Recovery. She's gonna help you make amends in your life, surround you in that. And the reason that every time we celebrate, say celebrate recovery and there's so many cheers is because those are people who have just experienced God's freedom in their life in these areas and they know the joy of walking in that freedom. And they wanna surround you to put their arms around you and help walk you in that same way. We wanna do that as a church. See, when we take steps, when we move, as scary as those steps can be, God's gonna make a way. He did for the Israelites, God told him to move and we continue to read in Exodus 14 that Moses raised his hand over the sea and the who? Lord. Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land so the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. The Israelites are followed by Pharaoh's army into the sea. This is a risky place to be if you don't have God's protection. And the Egyptians, they get to the middle of the sea between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m., the darkest and most vulnerable hour before dawn. And in normal cases, this would have been the perfect 
time to strike, when people are at their most discouraged. And God makes the Egyptian army panic. The Egyptians are in the sea and God makes the chariot wheels fall off because the chariot wheels are hard. The same Hebrew word used back during the plagues where God made Pharaoh's heart hard. So what this means is that God's in this. He's already decided the outcome of this battle. He's fighting on the Israelites' behalf and he has won. In fact, all the Israelites get out to the other side and when they do, Moses turns around, he raises that staff and the walls of water crash, crash in on the Egyptian army, completely wiping them out. This is the great salvation moment in the history of Israel. And it's the very first time the word save is used in the Bible. It's used right here in Exodus 14. The, the term save is reserved almost exclusively for what God does. God does the saving. He does it and we get in on it. In fact, all the key action terms right here in Exodus 14, they're all about God moving and saving his people in his power. We're to watch and be still and trust, but we're also to walk and move towards the rescue he has for every single one of us. You see, we can experience this same victory, this amazing miracle of deliverance. He's offered it to you and to me too. Our sin has us trapped. It has us facing an army of evil barreling down on us on one side and a body of water on the other. That body of water known as the impossible, completely separating us from God. But Jesus, but Jesus, he was our deliverer. He was our savior. That cross, it was our salvation. It was our miracle and it was our rescue. We are so loved by God that he made a way out of the destruction for us. And we too can be saved if we just start moving. And that first step to overcome that inertia, that first step is just to trust him and to name him your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here today and you haven't done that before. You've never named Jesus your personal Lord and Savior to give you a hope, to give you a future, to give you a rescue. And if you wanna do that today, I wanna give that opportunity to you right now. So if I could have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes, I'm gonna lead you through a prayer. I, I just ask that these are your, that you repeat my words, but that you're, they're your own words back to God. Just cry out to him. Just say, God, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've messed up. But God, I know that you provided a way out of that sin. You sent Jesus to live a blameless life, to die a death he didn't deserve, but that he rose from that grave, giving me the opportunity to have eternal life. I ask that you forgive my sins. I name Jesus my personal Lord and Savior. God, let me walk towards the freedom you have for me. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, if you just named Jesus, your Lord, your Savior, for the first time with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you could just do me a favor and just slip your hand up in the air, what you're doing is you're just acknowledging before me, before God, just saying, I'm gonna take that step. I'm trusting him. I'm gonna follow him. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for that decision. Thank you for trusting him. 
God, I lift these hands up to you right now. They're, they're reaching out to you. They're ready for your rescue. They're ready for you to show up in their life, naming Jesus their Lord and Savior. Draw near to them. And draw near to each of us as we look for relational health in our lives. Let us have the courage to expose the pain in our lives, to release the offender, and ultimately to move towards your freedom, God, to seek forgiveness, give forgiveness, but then also seek reconciliation and seek amends. It's hard, God, but we know we have your help. We know that we, you're right next to us every step of the way. We wanna move towards your peace. We give you today and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe and review this podcast and connect with us on social media by following at Central Online. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Central. You can simply visit centralchurch.online slash give, and you can give a gift today. And thanks again for joining us on the Central Church Podcast.